So I was talking to a friend of mine this morning on Voxer, my friend Jen, just about um, different things. But one thing we were talking about is the fear of death. And like she was telling me um, her perspective as well and just how it's hard to really get to a point and some people have in their lives where they don't fear death or but what I fear more than the actual act of death, like it actually happening, is what comes before it. Being in a nursing home or being, feeling this feeling of insignificance. You know, I was telling her that when my dad was in the nursing home, even when my mom was in and out of mental institutions when I was little, I was, I'm always like, I have this thing where I'm scared of loud noises. Um, and my son is the same way, actually. It's interesting. Um, and actually, my daughter, Layla, which is probably typical. But for me, I'm more of like, a, oh, my gosh, I can't, I can't handle that. Like, it's, the noise really, really affects me. And I think part of that comes from when my mom was in, these mental institutions, you'd have the patient that randomly screams or randomly attacks or randomly comes after you or jolts forward. And it, those are terrifying places and I'm terrified of them. They're not places I will ever see myself getting used to. Never, 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 especially as a little girl, um, having to go visit my mom. Um, they were places of, they were just terrifying terrifying places I remember actually one time what was it was it in college maybe that I went to go visit my mom um in one of these it was a court ordered um she had she was court ordered to be institutionalized because she threatened her neighbor physically like with a knife and all this stuff because my mom thinks people are satan people's the devil like she's paranoid schizophrenic and it's just a big thing but my life with my mom was very very difficult um it was difficult being her daughter um i was very embarrassed as a little girl and i know that sounds like oh my goodness like you shouldn't you shouldn't say that your mom embarrassed you. No, she did. Like, and it's okay. Like, it's okay to be embarrassed when your mom comes to your school and tells your whole classroom that she's Jesus. That's okay to be embarrassed. Um, it's okay to be embarrassed when she stands you up in a restaurant and puts you on the table with her and says that she is the savior. And it was just on and on. I could tell you story after story after story after story about my mom. Things that she did that you're just like, how is this possible? Like, you know, that's why I tell people, like, I'm not, yes, there are things still from my past that maybe, you know, affect me today. Like those noises, like sudden, like, <laughs> you know, like I'll hold a frog, but don't jump right before I'm about to grab you. <laughs> that kind of thing like that freaks me out (laughs) and like in those hospitals and stuff there was always those patients that would like attack or you know 
And there was that one in college that was just terrible. Pretty much was a prison. Like a straight up prison. And it was horrid. Oh my goodness. There were like bars and... Oh, it was like made out of cement blocks. Mm. Something else. And um, so gives you a little bit of an idea as to what I grew up with. But that has always terrified me, the thought of like, especially now with my dad, when he was put in a nursing home, like his final days, he was in a, like an assisted living kind of, not assisted living, but it was really nice um, assisted living facility. And then he was transferred to a nursing home we didn't have a choice at that point kind of thing. And where <clears throat> he had his final days and it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Um, I didn't realize how bad it was. I kept asking questions, but like, it was not like, I don't know. Um, yeah. So after seeing that and after being in and out of these hospitals with my mom growing up, you know, they would always terrify me. But one of the things that stands out to me is you do lose what the world considers as value. Like you lose that value as a person because I cannot tell you that I remember any person that I've walked by in a nursing home. Mostly because I'm so scared, but also because, well, their time is kind of up, you know. I'm not saying that's how we should see it, but that is something that crosses my mind is that, you know, I feel like at that point, do people actually value your worth and who you are as a human being? And that's really scary to lose your quote unquote worth you know and I know that I'm just talking about the world's worth I'm not talking about who you are to Jesus and your worth in Jesus like but it's a scary thing you know do people really take you seriously at that point do people listen to you at that point do people you know what I'm saying and it's very hard it's a very hard place to be and yeah so I'm saying all this because I'm going to read a story that um, there's a book called The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. And I absolutely, absolutely love this book. I need to read it again. Um, But he's an incredible person. And I really love from what I can read. And this book has been what was one of the books that really changed how I viewed Jesus and how I viewed myself. It was a huge stepping stone for me. Um, And so I just want to read this story. I'm probably going to cry. So just bear with me at points. I might not because I just read it. But (sighs) yeah. I also love in 2012 when I wrote in this book. No, 2002, which is when I graduated from college, something that I found was very profound. And I did not put who said it um, underneath, so obviously it was me. (laughs) But apparently I thought it was very profound. 
And it's strength does not mean to be absent from tears, 2012. Apparently, I thought I was quite the the something. I don't know what it was. I love looking at stuff that I wrote going, oh, bless my heart. But anyway, this story is called A Case Study, The Morphing of Maple. And this is what it says. It seems to be helpful to see how God brings about transformation in the lives of ordinary people. So I would like to introduce to you to a friend of a friend of mine. Her name is Mabel. This is what my friend Tom Schmidt wrote. The state-run convalescent hospital is not a pleasant place. It is large, understaffed, and overfilled with senile and helpless and lonely people who are waiting to die. On the brightest of days, it seems dark inside and it smells of sickness and stale urine. I went there once or twice a week for four years, but I never wanted to go, and I always left with a sense of relief. It is not the kind of place one gets used to. On this particular day, I was walking in the hallway and I had not visited, that I had not visited before, looking in vain for a few who were alive enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. This hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases, strapped into carts or in wheelchairs and looking completely helpless. As I neared the end of this hallway, I saw an old woman strapped up in a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and the white pupils on her face told me that she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told me that she was almost deaf. And one side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sword covering part of her one cheek, and it had pushed her nose to one side, dropped one eye, and distorted her jaw, so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was now the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I was, later, I was told later that when the new nurses arrived, the supervisors would send them to feed this woman, thinking that if they could stand the sight of her, they could stand the sight of anything in the building. I also learned later that this woman was 89 years old, and she had been here bedridden, blind, nearly deaf and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her, She looked less likely to respond than most of the people I saw in the hallway. But I put a flower in her hand and I said, Here's a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. She held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it and then spoke. And much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, Thank you. It's lovely. But can I give it to someone else? I can't see it, you know. I'm blind. I said, of course, and I pushed her in the chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought we could find some alert enough patience. I found one, and I stopped the chair. Mabel held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. That was when it began to dawn on me that this was not an ordinary human being. Later, I wheeled her back into her room, and I learned more about her history. She had grown up on a small farm that she managed with only her mother, until her mother died. Then she ran the farm alone until 1950, where her blindness and sickness sent her to the convalescent hospital. For 25 years, she, she got weaker and sicker, 
and constant headaches and back aches and stomach aches, and then the cancer came too. Her three roommates were all human vegetables who screamed occasionally, which is terrifying for me, but never talked. They often soiled their bedclothes, and because the hospital was understaffed, especially on Sundays when I was usually visiting, the stench was often overpowering. Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks, and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Her first words to me were usually an offer of hard candy from a tissue box near her bed. Some days I would read to her from the Bible, and often I would pause when she would continue to recite the passage from memory word for word. On other days, I would take a book of hymns and sing with her, and she would know all the words of the old songs. For Mabel, these were not merely exercises in memory. She would often stop in mid-hymn and make a brief reference about lyrics she considered particularly relevant to her own situation. I never heard her speak of loneliness or pain except in the stress the stress she placed on certain lines and certain hymns. It was it was not many weeks before I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder. I would go to her with a pen and paper and write down the things that she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind often seemed to be pulled in ten directions at once with all the things that I had to think about. The question occurred to me, what did Mabel have to think about? Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's night or day, night or day. So when I went to her, I asked Mabel, what do you have to think about when you lie here? She said, I think about my Jesus. I sat there and thought for a moment about the difficulty of me for thinking of Jesus for even five minutes. And I asked, what do you think about Jesus? She replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kinds who's mostly satisfied. Lots of of folks wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Nabal began to sing an old hymn. This is not fiction. Incredible as it may seem, a human being really lived like this. I know. I knew her. How could she do it? Seconds ticked and minutes crawled and so did days and weeks and months and years of pain without human company and without an explanation of why it was all happening. And here she lie and she sang hymns. How could she do it? The answer, I think that Mabel had something that you and I don't have much of. She had power. Lying there in that bed, unable to move, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to talk to anyone, she had incredible power. So that is from, again, The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. and I always, I've, I've read that story so many times, like years and years and years ago, I would read it over and over and over again. And <clears throat> today when I read it to a friend of mine, um, I remembered how powerful it was. And it reminds me of the fact that we do have access to God's power. 
we have full access to it. And these fears that I experience, these fears of what the future holds, these fears of losing loved ones, these fears of all these, this anxiety that I have. Hey, baby. Oh, good job, buddy. What should you have? Well, why don't I? I'll come in there in just a second. We'll talk about it. How about popsicles? We're going to have popsicles tonight, sweetheart. I want Layla to be up for it. (laughs) Okay. Um, Sweet little kid. Um, I love his little voice. I just, I can't. Anyway, um, yeah, you know, I, I have to remember that I do have access to his power. And that would change everything, right? If I truly understood that. If I truly understood what I have access to, that would change everything. It's an intimidating thing, but I do have access to him. I have access to Jesus at any moment of any day of any, you know, and it's just, it's really unbelievable to me that he has given us that. And I can sit here and I can worry about how I'm going to be when I'm old. Am I going to be in a nursing home? Am I going to be like Mabel? Am I going to have these horrible things happen to me? And while I'm worrying about it, I can miss out on what's right in front of me. It's plain and simple, right? I think so. So, I think anxiety is something I'm going to deal with for the rest of my life. But I know one thing, it brings me to Jesus more than anything else in my life. It does. And like my, fr- my friend Cheryl said, she's like, it's almost like having a relationship when she struggles with depression. She was like, I have a relationship with depression. It's almost like a friend of mine that's walking alongside of me and it's a battle and I don't want to have it, but I do know that it takes me to Jesus. I know that eventually even after I'm done kicking and screaming and it might be weeks that I'm kicking and screaming and I'm angry and I'm mad and I'm cursing at God, I know one thing, I go back to him. She's like, I know where true salvation comes from. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's just been on my mind lately. And I just wanted to share that story the morphing Mabel with you guys was the morphing Mabel. Wait, I think I just made that up. <laughs> just, did I say the morphing Mabel? Is it the morphing Mabel? What did I say? Truly not. Yes, of course it has to be the morphing Mabel. Why? Yeah, the morphing Mabel. The case of the a case, a case study. The morphing Mabel. I'm like, where did I come up with that? That's ridiculous. I should know that. Anyway, um. Yeah, so I hope you guys have a great day. I hope you guys aren't dealing with the heat that I'm dealing with here in North Carolina. And I'm sure you guys who are like in Florida and Texas are laughing at me saying that. But still, I do not. I This heat is ridiculous. So 
uh, I'm really trying to have a good positive attitude about living in North Carolina and it's been really challenging. So I'm giving it a go because let me tell you, my husband and I, we'd love to live in Alaska. Honestly, if it was not dark six months out of the year, I think it might be the perfect place. <laughs> my husband would love the darkness. He's calls me a vampire because I'm always in the shade, but he is the vampire. Except when he goes to Florida or Hilton Head, like all of a sudden he becomes like this beach guy and it's really weird. But when he's in the house, he's like closing all the windows, like all the curtains. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, it's just too bright. <laughs> like that's ridiculous and so I'm trying to embrace the fact that we live in North Carolina and you know I'm like okay well I can have tropical plants outside and stuff like that but I'll tell you it has been hard but yeah my husband like he's a vampire here but like he crosses the South Carolina border all of a sudden he's Mr. Margaritaville like I don't understand <laughs> that man can be at the ocean or the pool for six hours like he's out of control. I'm just like, how is this possible? I am not. I am in the shade. And the moment I step out in the sun, I swear my skin sizzles. Like, I'm not joking. I get burnt within 10 minutes because I'm very fair skinned. I get cold sores and I look crazy. Like, I just get burnt, blistered if I'm, yeah, so... I don't even know how I got started talking about this. Oh, because it's so freaking hot outside. I think it's supposed to get like 92 today or something. Ugh. Just makes me. It's something else, isn't it? Anyway, I hope you guys have a great day.